Hey, you're listening to the Smoke Meat Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Pittman. Uh, Smoke Meat's brought to you by Joe's Underground at the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia, in the bottom of the Lamar Building. Uh, such a great place to go. You meet new friends every time you go in, and you get to hang out with your old ones. They always make you feel like family when you go in. Go see Jeremy and the gang at Joe's Underground at the corner of 8th and Broad in the bottom of the Lamar Building in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, today I have got rock, country, gospel, you name it, royalty with me. I'm talking about Mr. Leland Sklar. That's right. It is easier to name the people he hasn't played on their albums and toured with than it is to name the people. He's been on over 2,700 albums, been on countless tours. Uh, some of my favorite people he's been with, you know, Phil Collins, he's been with The Doors, he's been with uh, James Taylor, Linda Rodstadt, the Oak Ridge Boys. Uh, he's even been with Second Chapter of Acts. Um, so we're going to have a great time today, man. I mean to tell you, I'm pumped about this interview. And we're going to just get this thing kicked off here on Smoked Meat. Hey, so how the hell are you today, Mr. Leland? Um, I am completely adequate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a, bit, a bit nuts out here in California because of the fires. Yeah. Um, we're really dealing. I got up this morning to walk my dogs, and it must have felt a little bit like what it felt like after Mount St. Helens blew its top because it was like 8 15 in the morning and it was dark out people were still driving with their headlights on mm-hmm. and uh it's uh it's pretty insane uh there's really a lot of a lot of grit in the air my my black pickup truck looked gray oh man the amount of ash on it and i'm not even close to the fires yeah i, I don't envy the guys fighting those i've fought woods fires before not nearly on that scale and they suck um Oh, I, I couldn't imagine being out in that. I'm, you know, God bless well, you, every one of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. You think of these people, man, just, you know, they probably got at least 80 pounds of, you know, stuff on them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and climbing through this incredible terrain in the mountains. And, uh, and, and it's been so hot here. I mean, uh, it was like 113 where I lived the other day. And um, it, so you, you add that to the heat generated by a fire with all that stuff, man. These people must lose about 50 pounds a day just in liquid out of their bodies from sweat. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, to me, they're so heroic. It's yeah. uh, something there's something to behold. Yeah, they they get my hats off to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I say, I've, I've done it on a small scale and it was horrible. I couldn't imagine just. Okay, here we go. We're in the middle of nowhere. Huge fire all around you. Save it or put it out or die. And yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that was the worst camping trip ever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. But yeah, you know, as I told you before we started, you know, I've done a little bit of research here and there. And man, you, you have played with everybody. I think the pandemic happened just so the cosmos could make it where you went home for 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure because yeah. you, you've been touring since like 71, hadn't you? Uh, yeah, 70 was kind of when I started. So, you know, it's, you know, and it's been solid. I mean, there hasn't been one year where I haven't been on the road. And uh, this year we, we snuck a bit in just before the pandemic hit because I'm in a new band. It, it's a new old band. Um, <laughs> we've got this band, The Immediate Family, but mm-hmm. it's an offshoot of, uh, of the section, which was the original band with James Taylor. And, um, 
but at the uh, in February we did a, a rock legends cruise that went from uh, Fort Lauderdale to Grand Cayman, and it was like the last thing that happened before everything shut down. So mm -hmm. at least at least we got to sneak that in. Uh, but the minute that all that went down, a, a, a solid year's worth of work just evaporated like a fart in the wind. Oh man. Man, that sucks so bad. It's it's scary. It's scary for all you know. Well, it's a scary time for so many people. Um, yeah. But in terms of the uh, the music business, uh, there's just there's no telling because you know it's like with you know most schools. The minute they have budgetary problems, uh, the first thing they do is they cut music programs and stuff. And you're like then the last thing to be you know recommissioned. So when I look at like all the, you know, the stuff that's going on in the country kind of is as important as music is to everybody's daily life. And it's really the heart blood of, of our, of our, of our world as human beings is, is the arts. Yeah. And, uh, and the idea that, you know, so many clubs now are on the verge of, of collapse because, you know, their rent still has to be paid, but they can't put on any, you know, there's, you know, no venues for anything. So yeah. it's a, it's a scary time. Uh, you know, and I really feel for all the musicians and artists out there that uh, are just so hungry to be performing and playing and can't at this point. Yeah. You know, I, I watched the show the other night where you were on there with, you know, Scott and, you know, uh, Perkins and everybody talking about the save the stages thing and, yeah, yeah. You know, people don't realize that it's not just artists. It's the, the guys who set up those stages, the lighting guys, the sound guys. Hell, it's the guys who sell popcorn at these things. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, 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 it's, like, uh, it's like eating an artichoke or peeling an onion, man. There's so many layers to this yeah. business. Um, and most people, you know, it's like you, you see a movie, and it could be a movie with, like, four characters, you know, and and then yet the credits roll, and there's, like, 300 people yeah you know names going by the the, uh, the depth of involvement in all of this is is so um it's so incredible and uh, and most of those people that are on, on that underside of it um they're 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 not making a ton of dough they're you know a lot of them are living you know gig to gig yeah. and all of a sudden to have it disappear like that is really catastrophic yeah, well, anything that I can do for that, y'all let me know because I'll I'll promote whatever I need to. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I because I just hooked up with Scott. He he hit me to the save our stages, and um, I'm going to do all I can with those guys to, you know, try. It, it sounds like they've got some good inroads going um, within the political arena. That's bipartisan. So, you know, maybe they can send some money to help that rather than just sending all the money to the guys who absolutely don't need the money, but are happy to take it. Yeah. You know, let's, let's, let's save these venues so that when things do open up, you know, people can go out and, and have a, a nice evening of some food and some music and uh, be able to chill and, and enjoy their lives again, instead of being hunkered down. Yeah. So we'll see, man, you know, hoping for the best, my, my fingers are crossed for a better future. Otherwise, you know, why even be here? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm, I'm ready for this thing to be done because, you know, yeah. not only do I get to quarantine, I still get to work in it. So, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm lucky in the fact I haven't missed a check, but at the same time, I haven't missed a check because I'm elbow deep in it. So yeah. that sucks, but eh, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, for me, 
basically it, it's my income ended yeah. uh, uh, yeah. in March and uh, I'm just uh, you know I'm doing things that are bringing in a little bit of dough but even like one of the gigs I was supposed to do in May they they moved it to November then canceled it moved it to February and now it's March of 22 is is when it's a big huge thing in Switzerland and uh, you know so we just don't know everybody's you know just kind of living day by day and seeing where this leads us because um, there is no way of knowing and every time they try to open up anything people act so stupid and irresponsible that it's like one step forward and three steps back and uh so it's hard to tell when this is actually going to, you know, start drawing, you know, becoming safe again, because uh, every time people do anything, it, the numbers start to spike again. So this thing yeah. is still virulent and active. Yeah. And, it should be, and I have enough people I know that have died or, or are hospitalized that I, I don't take this lightly at all. And, you know, I just, you know, I just hope for the best. I, I, I hate the idea of, of, you know, all the suffering that this has caused. Yeah, you know, I, I do stand-up, and we've got a lot of venues that do that or opening it here in Atlanta. And as bad as I want to get back on stage, I'm not getting back on stage yet. Because, no. like I say, this, people are getting stupid. And, you know, if we just did what we were supposed to do, what we were taught in damn kindergarten, yeah. wash your hands, stay out of my face, stay clean, don't sneeze on people, this shit would yeah. go away. Yeah, but people seem to think it's it's gotten painted as like you know, you know it's it, it, it's an affront to your masculinity and all this. But you know, I, I'm in the middle of doing an album with a with a guy named Brett McKenzie, and Brett is half of the team that of Flight of the Concords out of New Zealand, mm-hmm. and uh, and I talked to him about it, and he and you know, granted, New Zealand's a small country, but he said, man, the minute this this hit the um prime minister shut everything down they immediately put in all kinds of things you know social distancing masks and everything and he said within a short period of time pretty much they've they're really living a normal life again he says there are cases that pop up but they've monitored so carefully that as soon as something starts to happen, they can localize it and deal with it. Yeah. And, uh, but here it's just, you know, total chaos every day and nobody knows what the hell they're doing. So it's, I don't know for us when the end's going to be. And then when you see all the countries that are refusing us passports now, and most of those countries is where I was supposed to be touring. So (laughs) even if this is over, I can't, can't go there until they, they lift the ban on that passport. Yeah. It's nuts, man. It is just nuts. It's like we went through a wormhole into some weird alternate universe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one thing I love about Scott, you know, talking to him, he is, he's one of the folks that's looking forward and and trying to figure out new ways to, to get music out there and for, for artists to still be able to earn because. Yeah, exactly. Well, Scott's always been that way. Yeah. 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 I mean, back to the new NBC days with, um, Toto, um, working with, with them. I mean, he's always been at, at the forefront of technology. W- one of the best things I ever did. And so people know who, it's Scott Page that we're talking about. And um, Scott Page played saxophone in um, uh, Pink Floyd and uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, the guy's been uh, a, a great musician. His dad was like one of the finest players around, was in Lawrence Welk's band and all kinds of stuff. But um, 
but Scott, you know, he's always been like at the front end of technology. But one of the things we did years ago that was really cool, but it was way ahead of its time was we did a we did a uh, kind of a teaser for a show that they were going to do called The Rock and Roll Kitchen. Mm. And the essence of the show was an artist would come on. They would play with the house band, which was like the Tower of Power horn section. It was Jim Keltner on drums and myself on bass, Kenny Lewis on guitar. Uh, it was, um, uh, uh, oh, God, who else was in it? Um, there was a, a bunch of guys. It was great. And then, and then the person would cook their favorite meal. Nice. And like... And it was great. Uh, you know, I mean, they had all these different people. We did a bunch of the shows, but at that time, like there was no, you know, food network or any of those things. So yeah. uh, I think like Kraft Cheese, I think, was like interested for a moment uh, in maybe doing something. But um, uh, but now would be a perfect time for that show. Oh, know, yeah. if, they have, if they ever want to bring it back, because there's such a great format with the food network. To yeah. do something like that but that's scotty man he's he's been there since day one pushing for you know pushing out of the envelope and out of the box for technology yeah. and uh yeah it's guys like him that'll help move this forward from the kind of quagmire we find ourselves in yeah yeah because you know i i know we talked a little bit and you know i, I feel like you know the people who y'all basically scored my life i know that's cliche and it sounds so cheesy but you know i can't remember what i did two weeks ago almost but you can you can name a song and i can tell you what i was doing the first time i heard that song 40 yeah. years ago See, there's those certain things like that that touch you in a really primal place i was i was kind of equated to like you could be somewhere and and you smell like a clover and maybe that clover was outside of the house you lived in when you were eight years old. Yeah. And as soon as you smell that, for, for even for a couple of seconds, your mind goes right back to when you were a little kid. And, and there's this old factory thing that happens to you. And music can do the same thing. And that's what I've always loved about it is it, it represents births and deaths and marriage and divorce and graduation and, you know, it's benchmarks in everybody's life. And, and I'm exactly the same. I mean, if I hear the first vanilla fudge record, I know exactly where I was the night I heard that the first time mm. and what an impact it had on me. So I, 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 I totally dig what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think music heals, you know, five years ago I had two strokes. Wow. And, uh, yeah. It didn't get me physically, but it scrambled my eggs really well. It gave me a horrible uh -huh. stutter. And, uh, I don't know if you know him. Do you know a guitarist out of Texas named Monty Montgomery? I've heard his name, but I don't know him. This cat does a version of Romeo and Juliet. He does it on an acoustic electric Alvarez. And the first time I heard it, he was the only guitar on stage. And at one point, it sounds like three people are playing, and he's playing live. Wow. And uh, I was out in my cook shack, and it was about a month after I had the strokes. I was, you couldn't understand nothing I said. And I was out there cleaning guns, listening to metal as loud as I could, just getting away from everything. And I decided I wanted to hear that song. So I downloaded it and played it. And before I realized, I was singing it perfectly. Wow. And I did wow. it again. I did it about four times. And my wife was out in our yard walking. We lived out in the country. And I waved her over real frantically. She thought something was wrong. 
And I got to give her the first clear I love you she had had in four months. Wow, that's unbelievable. And that was that was so cool, and it was because of the song. And I actually let him know, and he he called me, and I, I let him know he made a difference. And that was that was really cool to be able to do that. That's that's fabulous because you know I mean we all know that the music we do touches people, but when it really becomes that tangible, it's it's deep. It's a real profound moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was looking on the discography here and saw where you did, but seriously, but serious hits live. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when I was younger, I lived down in South Georgia with my sister and brother-in-law helping out with him because he was bedridden, had an illness. And, uh, they each had a computer and hers was an old 486. I mean, this thing ran the original windows. It was old. Yeah. But I would stay up at night, and one of the CDs she had was that CD. Oh, wow. And I, I can sing this thing word for word, and when I saw you had played on it, I'm like, oh, there's no way in hell, no way. And I started watching videos, and sure enough, there's the beard, and I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, I'm getting to talk to this guy. And that yeah. that the songs on that take me back to then, and it's just the feeling I got when I listened to them, and it was one of my escapes, and it was awesome. See, that's what's great. You know, I mean, that's really, you know, it's like when we do these shows. Um, you, you do these shows to give people an opportunity just to step away from, you know, daily routine and, and, and just be able to kind of, you know, you know, transcend time. You know, just sit there and, and your memories come, you know, flooding back to you of where you were when you heard things and, and, and the impact like for you that it had because of where you were. And, um, so, you know, it's, it, 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 to me, it's, it's one of the things that makes this so inspiring. And, and I've had people say to me, like, you know, don't you get tired of playing these songs? Like, you know, fire and rain. I mean, how many thousands of times over the 20 years I was with James Taylor, did I play fire and rain? And I go, <laughs> I never get tired of it. I never got tired of it. So I said, because there's, you know, every, I would always think somewhere in the audience tonight, there's somebody hearing this for the first time Yeah. and you, and you make it special for that person. And then it's special for everybody. Exactly. That is so awesome. And, uh, you know, another band I saw you played with second chapter of acts. Oh yeah. God, I, yeah. I love them. Yeah. I, I got to see them when I was in, I think 10th or 11th grade. My youth minister took us up here to Atlanta to see them. And I remember seeing them. It was in the late eighties. I think you were done with them by then, but, uh, I, I had the privilege of getting to hear Matthew Ward's, um, CD when he came out with it. And uh, I think 89 or 90, his solo album. Yeah. Matt's yeah. like ridiculous. I mean, I mean, oh, the, yeah. they, they, the three of them were amazing. Annie, was such a fine pianist um and i got to know i know them through buck you know her husband Mm -hmm. who was a great engineer and i did like helen reddy's i am woman with him and all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. and and um so he you know he was producing you know second chapter of actually said which you know you want to play on on one of the albums i said i'd love to are you kidding and um and then at one point they lived down in Texas, in East Texas, and I flew down there to work with them. And they built this amazing—it was like in the middle of the woods, and it was like a giant steel building. 
but I mean, it had like, you know, a, a lift up door that their tour bus could go in and had a pit under it for working on the bus. Mm. And on one side was a studio and there was a room dedicated to Annie's piano. So it was Mike the way a real Steinway should be not, you know, blanketed over with Mike stuffed in it, but it was opened and the mics were across the room. And, and on the other side, they had um, a couple of apartments in the place for guys that would come there and then their place. And they had like a basketball court. I mean, it was like the most amazing thing. And then I think they moved up to might've been steamboat Springs mm-hmm. and I went up there and worked with them too. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're a remarkable family. Uh, yeah. they're, you know, their, their music, their, their, their spirit, their, um, you know, the whole aspect of them is, is something quite special. I really love those people. Yeah, I think one of my favorite songs with her piano part in it was Nightlight, just the way she played mm-hmm. that. It's just simple, but it's just, man, it touches you. Yeah, you know, simple is good. Yeah. You know, things don't have to be complicated to be good. You know, it's, it makes me crazy every time I flip on YouTube, and, or, you know, and I start looking at all the bass players that, that post their videos of themselves and everybody's just like flailing away. And, you know, every once in a while I think, man, I'd love to see somebody post playing a song and not just something you would do at the NAM show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just really, you know, show us how you create a, a part and it could like when I would work with Reba McIntyre or any, any of those country artists like that, it was always those songs that were just whole notes and half notes, but man, they touched you so deeply. Mm-hmm. And um, and you really had to be on top of your game to make those notes count. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about simple. You know, I, I think old Steve Miller. You know, keep yeah. on rocking me. The the guitar and the bass lines in that song, just steady. But it's so yep. smooth, and man, I love it. You know that that speaks to me. It just gives me a, a feeling that no other song will. That's great. That's exactly what you want out of your music. Yeah. And and it can be that, you know, in, in completely insane music, too. I mean, it could be, you know, everything from Zappa to Mahavishnu Orchestra. I mean, you name it. It could be this super intense prog rock or any of that. If that's what the music demands, then great. And you do it. And it touches people in the same way that the gentlest ballad yeah. can do it. Yeah, you know, but to me, you know, to get into the actual music side of things, for me, everything stems from and is predicated by the song. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't take on a song to impose yourself on it to show off your chops or anything. You listen to the song, and you respond to what the song needs from you. Mm-hmm. And if it if all it needs is some whole notes and half notes, make them the best you've ever played them. Yeah, Very cool. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. But the song really it, it defines everything to me. That's why I spent my, you know, my the past fifty years just performing songs, and uh, and I love it. I, I I just absolutely love doing it. I, I can definitely tell. And what's funny, you know, watching the videos I've been watching, you know, the live stuff. I've noticed one thing about bass players: all of y'all have that same look when you're playing. I can't really describe just the bass player look, except for the guy that plays with Metallica. He's kind of very uh, mobile. <laughs> I know Robert's a good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah, yeah he is. He is awesome. He, he's he's I love him. He's great, and he is. Uh, you know, he, he, he eats that. He eats that that instrument alive with those guys. Yeah, he is a beast. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great. I, I love love him very much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, most bass players, you know, you're pretty much. It's like when I'm when I've been on the road with all, all kinds of different artists, from Lyle Lovett to Toto to Phil James or Jackson or any of these people. Um, a lot of times, people are they're all just like goofing around and and having fun, and then they come in the dressing room, and I'm sitting there with headphones on, working on songs, and they go, "How come you're like always doing that?" I said. Because there's only one guy on stage that has to know the downbeat, and that's me. <laughs> so the drums are just hitting an atonal, for the most part, instrument. So, you know, just hit something and you're going to be there. It may not be the right part, but nobody will know. They could just think you're, you're improvising. Mm. Um, the guitar player, keyboard players, any of them, they can wait, you know, a, a bit of a beat um, uh, to kind of figure out what's going on if they don't know. But I said, bass players got to be there every time. So I said, I need to know this stuff inside out. So I put in the hours and really, I want to know the stuff so well that I never have to think about it the minute I walk out on stage, that it's at that point just, you know, I'm just enjoying the moment and not thinking about the moment, yeah. um, but, but living the moment. And uh, so, you know, that's, I think, part of a lot of guys, I think a lot of bass players carry that responsibility when they hit the stage so they get into a different zone <laughs> than a lot of the other people up there yeah yeah and uh you know it's funny i i, I play the guitar a little bit I, I do what basically i chicken pick it's about all i can do uh-huh. and uh because i've got really big hands i'm a big dude i'm 510 i'm almost 300 pounds and uh i, I was at the pawn shop one day just kind of looking around and i saw a bass i'm like big fingers forced i can play the hell out of a bass i'll bet yeah <laughs> wrong less strings does not mean easy to play at all yeah i think i traded yeah. it back to the pawn shop like two weeks later <laughs> that's great I, I remember seeing albert i remember when i went and saw albert collins play mm-hmm. and he was a big dude and his fingers they all look like knockworths or kielbasa's i mean he had the biggest yet he was playing the most beautiful blues guitar and i i would sit there going how the hell can this guy have that finesse with these giant like smithfield hams on the ends of his arms you know it's like man this is unbelievable yeah. but he, he did it yeah it was amazing yeah I basically stick to my voice and the stereo. That's the two things I play <laughs> and i don't sing when i sing in the shower the water quits running <laughs> oh man but yeah I, I love getting on stage like saying just getting in that zone because that's that's kind of your reward for all the hard work you know you can get up there and everybody has bad shows and you're just not really phoning it in but you know it's not the best show you've done but you know i'll have times when i get on there and this has actually started happening in the last couple of years where i'll just get on a little roll and get in my groove and i don't actually hear laughter I can look out and I see people laughing, but I'm just so far into my zone. I just don't hear yeah. anything except for what I'm putting out there. And that is such an awesome feeling. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. You know, it's, and you know, I'll tell you some of the best shows I've ever played were sound checks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we would get in and there was no, there was no responsibility. We were just on stage having fun. You know, there was nobody judging us from an audience or anything like that. And we would do it and we would walk away and we would just go, man, I hope the show's that good. <laughs> it's because yeah, we got completely into the zone and kind of blew our wad in a, in a way uh, doing the uh, sound check. But, you know, the shows would always work. You know, it's it's just, you know, sometimes you get that moment where 
everything is just in such sync with each other and you just go you can feel it it becomes like visceral it's in your gut yeah and i love it i mean that's the magic yeah definitely and you know there's you know i'd I'd like to say i don't get on stage just for me because i mean yeah i get up there for me because i I dig it you know it's, it's almost like a drug but when you get up there and you know the audience is right there with you and that's where they want to be they're not worried about their phones they're not worried about this or that they're just boom y'all are right there together exactly no feeling like it but oh yeah it's heaven it's heaven man it is it is and uh man the 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 tours and i bet you've got one hellacious t-shirt collection just the tours you know i I, I hardly ever collected any of them you know it's one of those things that (laughs) when you're in the middle of it it's just everything starts piling up and you know like they so many times like at the end of a tour they would give you a bunch of swag with all kinds of and i would always find somebody that looked like they would really love the stuff and i would always just give it to them mm-hmm. you know because it's just for me you know I, I i i've got my black and my blue t-shirts mm-hmm. that i buy at the gap and that's pretty much it for me <laughs> so um the, the thing i've got a ton of is laminates oh yeah yeah, just a, a wall covered with those, and that—that's kind of fun. Just to reminisce things from everything from old, you know, these the big old venues, the summer sheds, uh, you know, that are gone now, to being on the BBC, all these things. It's really fun once in a while just to kind of drift through the the pile of laminates and and have memories of of great moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I when I did radio in Augusta and we would do shows, uh, we wouldn't really have laminates. We had it was a uh, back in the day they had like almost like cloth stickers that only we had. Yeah, and I've got you know some of those that I'll forget about them and once in a while I run across them and go, damn, that's cool. I remember that show. Yeah, uh, that that was so much fun because I got that was one of my first times ever getting to meet anybody that had been famous, you know. And here I was getting to interview them and. Of course, I had to do the the radio interview, so tell me about your song. Yeah. But it was still so cool. And it was funny. Martina McBride actually made me speechless. I got within 10 feet over. I couldn't walk, and I could not speak. My programming director laughed his ass off at me. Dude, those eyes, they hypnotize me every time. Uh, Martina's fabulous. Yeah. And she, she's she's pretty special. Yeah. All, those, all those artists are. Susie Boggess and... Mm-hmm. You know, you know all of them: Reba, and Patty Loveless, uh, KT Oslin. You know, and you know all. I, I love. I, I spent about eleven years going back and forth to Nashville, mm-hmm. and uh, working on tons of records. And I, I really love being down there and working with them. And all the musicians were so great. And, yeah, I, I love KT Oslin. She seems like she would just be a barrel of fun. Yeah, and one of the best singers and best songwriters. Yeah. You know, I'm right now you, you mentioned the name. I think come next Monday. I think uh, what is the one? The name of it? Um, heck, I mean, I can't think of it. Basically, the man walks in and says, "Wife, we need to talk." Let me tell you about my day. I can't think of the name of it. It's a serious song, yeah, but it's I'm just blank, wonderful. And uh, it's, like I say, just mentioning people just is throwing me all over the place. You know, it's it's putting me back at WYSC in McCray, Georgia, back in 1990. 
Oh, that's great. You know, a little tiny station. We called it a dollar a holler because a, a thirty minute or thirty second spot was a dollar. <laughs> and I could wow. play anything I wanted to as long as it was country. And I remember playing Should Have Been a Cowboy when Toby Keith came out with it, you know, all yeah. the older stuff. And I remember saying on the air, this guy's going places. And you know, he might make it one day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, the, the real fun was when I would, you know, get into the really traditional guys. You know, I spent a lot of time with Merle Haggard and Willie and mm-hmm. um, Waylon, all those guys. And, you know, you'd get around that stuff and you'd listen to, to them sing and you just sit there and you go, yeah, yeah, th- this is this is really it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I I love that. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a, once in a while, you know, like guys like Vince Gill will kind of call out country and go, you know, you really have gone so pop, you know, and you know, you think back to like the guys that really were still holding on to it when I worked with George Strait and Randy Travis and those guys, you know, and they they were still kind of honoring more traditional country music. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, a little bit of that's starting to come back now. You know, like Chris Stapleton. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of the new stuff I don't like, but you know, I'm I'm an old country guy, and uh, I like that they're coming back to that a little bit. Yeah, it's it, it's good. You know, it's nice to to uh, pay respect to the, the the genre that you you think you're in. It's yeah. you know, there's a little of everything, but I you know that whole area too where you are. I, I'm just suddenly thinking about like we we did in store stuff at at Peaches. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> in Atlanta and oh man, I just like that area is so great. Yeah. Man, it's so rich, rich with music. Have you ever gotten to play the tabernacle up here? No, I've, I've heard about it, oh, but never yeah. got a chance to play there. It is freaking beautiful in there. It is literally an old tabernacle. Yeah. And it is so beautiful, but you know, from Augusta down there, we had the bell auditorium and then we, we got the James Brown arena, which was the big thing down there. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have a lot of really big concerts start coming for till till probably about ten years ago, and they came for five or six years, and it's kind of slowed down now. But but yeah, yeah, it, it's it's tough. There's so many great spots in the country that you know most so many of the big tours just never hit. You know, they just they just hit all the main big cities. Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, I always loved them when we'd be on the road, like especially in the early days with James Taylor, we'd be in Lincoln, Nebraska and Ames, Iowa, and, you know, just hitting all these, you know, smaller towns that yeah. the people are so appreciative. And one of the things that was cool with Phil was when we did the first final farewell tour in 2004, the whole essence of that tour uh, at the beginning, at the beginning was to play places we had never played. Mm-hmm. And so we found ourselves in the Middle East. We were up in the Eastern Bloc. We were in uh, Latvia and Estonia. And man, the people that came out to see the shows were so appreciative because an act like Phil would normally have never been there. Yeah. And it was so inspiring and so exhilarating to do those shows. It wasn't like, you know, as much as I love playing Paris and London and Berlin and New York and LA and all that, those people get shows all the time. But when you hit these, these areas that man, they, they've hardly ever had a big show come through and suddenly you come on and, and, and they can't, you know, like we, we did, Phil did a press conference when we got to um, Istanbul and, and he goes, we're, 
really here. We are really going to play and stuff. <laughs> even seeing us getting off the plane, they were still kind of in disbelief. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, I, I feel uh, I, I literally. I mean, I do still pinch myself all the time at what a great run it's been, and to have been involved with so many great artists and experienced so many great places and audiences in the world, and have met so many cool people over over the decades. Yeah. That um, it's really so frustrating now because you know we were supposed I was supposed to be out on the road all this year and uh, and I miss it. You know, I've 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 done things that I think are really good for me um, that I would have never gotten to had it not been, you know, I would have been on the road and never done these things that I thought about for a long time. Yeah. So, um, so it, it's, it, I've tried to, you know, as the old, you know, saying goes, I really wanted to make lemonade out of a lemon <laughs> and, uh, and I'm working hard at it every day. I'm actually working harder during the pandemic than I would have had it not been here because I'm focused on a bunch of stuff that's really requiring focus and attention for me where in the studio or on the road, you know, I mean, that stuff for me is like, it's not second nature from the standpoint that I, that I think I'm blase about it, but I, that's my comfort zone that I know yeah. exactly what I'm doing. And now I'm in some areas that I'm learning and doing things I've never done before. So it's kind of exciting to have to teach this old dog new tricks. Oh yeah. You're never too old to learn, you know, I'm, nope. It's like I'm, I've, I feel you because you know I'm, I'm doing a lot of recording right now and having to edit a lot, and uh, I'm actually working on putting together a video channel. I've got one, but I want to do one where these interviews are video if the person wants to be on video, where I can do them live if need be, and you know, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would really be great. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing like a lot of Zoom videos or Facebook Live and. Yeah. stuff like that and it's really fun just to really connect visually with each other you know and when you're saying things you can really see you know how somebody's thinking when you see it in their face yeah exactly and you know i'm I'm actually working on getting a sponsor for that i've got a couple of people i've been talking to and you know i, I don't do my sponsors the normal way i've got one sponsor for this show and it's a bar in augusta called joe's underground Cool. When I started the show, I thought about it, and I was talking to the owner one night, just hanging out down there, because I did some comedy there. And I said, you know, Jeremy, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And he said, what do you need? Never hesitated. Wow, that's he, great. He bought my first round of gear for me. And because of that, you know, I don't do the pay-by-the-click thing, because it's too easy to screw somebody up like that. Yeah. He's on every show I'll ever do, the intro to this show. I do about 30 seconds about Joe's Underground. And you know, I'm See, that's my... great. I mean, that's 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 a wonderful symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when I talk to him, he's like, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm like, dude, you believed in me before I believed in me. Yes, I do. Yeah. And that the video channel is going to be the same way because. Well, it, it's a righteous thing to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody. It, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Uh, when when you when you treat it that way. And I think that's great. I'll tell you, then, if if you get the video channel up and running, you know, you know, if you need a, some filler, I'm I'm here for you. Oh, dude, we will have a ball. We we can definitely do that. But yeah, I've got characters that I do um, on my YouTube channel now. It's Brad's comedy. It's all one word. I've got some go jacked up characters, man. Oh, dude, I've got some great characters. I do. A, I love eating hot stuff. 
And uh, one of the things that I did when the pandemic started is I started an Amazon list and I posted it. And it had all the hot food challenges, different hot sauces and all on it. I told everyone, if you order something, you can pick the character that I do and what I'm doing with them while I do this. And uh, that has been definitely an interesting ride, to say the least. Wow, that's that's great. Yeah, a friend of yeah, mine. Yeah, I, I love hot sauce too, man. I love I love hot hot stuff, man. That's that's very cool. Oh yeah, a friend of mine actually <laughs> ordered me the white chocolate challenge, which is a piece of white chocolate infused with like Pepper X and the Reapers, all those. Yeah. And uh, he wanted me to do my clown, whose name is Murray, but Murray's not a normal clown. This is Murray's voice, and during Murray's first in- thing he did, uh, I actually downed a fifth of bourbon in 10 minutes as Murray, which it was tea because if I drank like Murray, I would freaking die. But, uh, yeah, he wanted Murray to read the dirty parts of 50 shades of gray while he ate this piece of the hot ass chocolate. And I did. Oh dude, have you read that book? No, I never read it. Holy shit. I had not either. And I, I when I sat down to do it, I just Googled 50 shades of gray, dirty parts clicked on something i saw paragraphs i'm like okay i'm golden let's let's do this so i eat the piece of chocolate do my little thing and i start to read and i'm like i have bitten off way more than i can chew because this is so bad murray's sitting there talking about his own personal christian gray flavored popsicle (laughs) it's like oh "Oh, shit kill me now but it was funny people laughed that's the important part yeah, yeah, it's called entertainment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, man, I, I love hot stuff. I've got a bottle of sauce made with Pepper X. Um, oh, wow. Wait, waiting for me in Thompson, where I'm from. And I'm ready to get down there and get it, because that is ridiculous. It'll be one of the hottest I've had. Yeah, I, I've got a, a the keyboard player that, that played um, with Brand X with Phil Collins, and he was on the... Um, uh, no jacket required. J. Peter Robinson, who uh-huh. he he left Phil in '90 because he was going to move into doing film score and stuff. Um, he's another freak for for hot sauces, and he had um, he had one bottle he found in England, and you know, and you go by you know the Scoville units and all that uh-huh. for measuring the heat, and this was uh, around two million Scoville units for this stuff, and he took out a, a toothpick and took a drop of this on the end of a toothpick and put it on my finger. <laughs> and, and my finger immediately started to blister <laughs> from it. And I went, shit. So we were working all day. And at one point, I hadn't completely cleaned my finger and I rubbed my eye. <laughs> and then I was in his front yard with a hose blasting on my face for about 10 minutes um, to, to <laughs> diffuse this. Man, I thought I was going to go blind. It was like the most intense... You know, and you kind of at that point you go, "What is the reason for this? This ain't going to make anything taste better. <laughs> this is just there to, you know, to blow your head off." Uh, it, oh, yeah. I've never tasted anything that hot in my life. Oh man, I've got one that's hotter than that sitting next to me right here. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Blair's uh, Death Sauce, and I think it's two and a half million. Wow. wow. Yeah, I, the hottest one I've had was nine million, and that one was ridiculous. Oh, nine. Are you? Oh, it, it was almost pure extract. It was bad. Oh man, one of the. I think I did a read the little engine that could while eating a lollipop with that <laughs> stuff on, 
as my character wow. Wayne. You would dig Wayne. Wayne is the old 70s love guru. Uh-huh. He's sitting there in a Magnum P.I. shirt with his hamburger meat poking out, you know, the, the chest hair. And uh, he's got big red hair and a big old bushy red mustache. And this is Wayne's voice, baby. Wayne's all about the love. But yeah, <laughs> little, I, little little Barry White in there. Yeah, Wayne Wayne had to read the little engine that could, and let me tell you, the little engine couldn't. Oh, dude, that was the hottest shit I've ever had. Wow. Yeah, I, I played bass on Magnum PI. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about that because uh, <laughs> uh, me and the guy who actually helped get me through the strokes, Blake Harris, and I've known him for forty years, um, was actually the first friend I made when I moved to Thompson. We were both Magnum freaks. All the shows, the detective shows and cop shows from that generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm going to let him know, and that's going to just drive him insane. <laughs> no, it's great because I did all uh, Mike Post. I had worked with Mike Post since 1967, oh, and when man. he started his TV run, I mean, I started with him on the Rockford Files, mm-hmm. and then we did you know Magnum and the A Team and Hill Street Blues and. You know, all, all those shows. Mm-hmm. There were tons of them. Simon Hunter, and Simon. Yeah, Simon, Simon, Hunter, uh, Quantum Leap, um, White Shadow. Uh, God, there were, there were just, we were at it all the time. L, you know, yeah, L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, all, mm-hmm. all those shows, man. It was it was so much fun because the writing was so good. And, uh, you know, a lot, especially those shows, you know, the, the the Magnums and Rockford, lots of chase sequences. So we had really long cues that were really fun to play. And mm-hmm. it was, those were good times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Those, those, just the music from all of those is, and i tell you what some of my favorite chase songs were though, growing up was the ones from the Dukes of Hazard, the chase songs. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh yeah. But yeah, back in the eighties, man, if it had Mike Post on it, it didn't matter what the show was; it was going to be a hit just because of the music. Yeah, yeah, no, he he really, especially in the days with this when Pete Carpenter, his partner, was alive. Pete was a lot older than Mike, but mm. they made an amazing team, and uh, it was always great when you know when they would get a new show and we get to start that, and you know that was steady work all the time. I mean, we yeah. we were at it constantly in the studio with doing those shows. And it was fun because they would come down, you know, and sometimes, you know, the people from the shows would come down and hang out. They wanted to see the recording sessions and um, like Fred Dreyer from Hunter and Stephanie Kramer. They would come down and hang out. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was cool. It was really cool. Very Those were good cool. times. Yeah. You know, and and it's, it's awesome when you, my dad always said, and I've heard other people say it, you know, if you're doing something you love, you never work a day in your life. Absolutely. It, it sounds like you've never worked. Well, I had, I had real jobs and that's why I was thrilled when music <laughs> became my, my profession because, you know, yeah. I, I, I couldn't really see myself, um, even though it's, I'm not degrading it, but I ran an offset printing press. I ended up being a arc welding swimming pool filters and, you know, it's all that kind of stuff o- yeah. over the years. But when music started to happen, I just went, man, and pinch myself again, man, go, thank you. And that I got to, you know, do the thing that I love the most. It became my vocation rather than my avocation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing, man. Yeah. And, it's uh, a gift. I tell you, I, I just want to know one thing. I don't think I've heard anybody ask you. 
but I got to know what instrument does the beard play? I know it plays something. Well, it, it actually is more of a, it's more of a mute for the bass. <laughs> yeah. I can kind of lay it over the strings and I'm suddenly, I sound like I have a flat wound string instead of a round wound. <laughs> oh yeah. That beard is epic, man. I, I love the beard. I, I, I cannot grow one close to that. Well, I tell you, when it, when it was 113 the other day out here, here I was going, you know, this is hard. It's, <laughs> it's like wearing like an R60 insulation around your head sometimes, <laughs> but it sure is fun, nice in winter. Yeah, you know, everybody else is out there, you know, complaining. I'm going, I'm comfortable, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> And it saved it saved me from having to buy business cards. <laughs> Definitely. And the stupid part was, at one point, my father had a printing business, and he kept saying, "Well, let me print you some cards." I go, "No, I don't need them. It's fine." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so stupid. Oh man. Oh well, you know, anytime you come down near Atlanta, you know you're going to be fed here because I do cook, oh, I, cook I, 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 I would love it, man. I would love it. Yeah. What, what's your favorite kind of, kind of meat? Well, the, uh, you know, in, in the day, you know, my problem is I stopped eating meat about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was eating, you know, I, I, I was a super brisket freak when brisket was done good, man, to me, there's, that's still one of the best cuts. Oh. And then I was a, you know, rib fanatic, you know, every time I'd get to, Memphis, I'd, I'd start hitting rendezvous and all the different rib joints. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, th- th- there's great stuff. But you'd find the, some of the greatest stuff in the weirdest places. Man, we were on tour and we were driving down through Texas outside of Houston. And I think it was on a James Taylor tour. And we had a Jones for Indian food and saw an Indian restaurant along the highway <laughs> and went, well, I mean, how horrible could it be? We went in, it was probably a, the best Indian food we ever had. Yeah, you um, know, I, I learned that. Was, man. Yeah. You, you remember on the old cop shows where the old grizzly veteran would take the young rookie into this place that just looked so nasty but had the best food in the world? Yeah, exactly. There was a place like that in Augusta. Uh, oddly enough, an old grizzly veteran took me in when I was just a young EMT, and it was called the Delta Sandwich Shop. It was behind a fancy French restaurant in the alley. And we walked in, and the guy called his burgers Perry Burgers. And I said, I want two Perry burgers. And the guy just kind of giggled at me and looked at my partner. And he said, I'll bring you one. I said, no, I want two of them. He said, I'll bring you one. And that kind of pissed me off. I'm like, look, I'm grown. I can eat two. He said, look, when you finish that one, if you want the other one, it'll be waiting. Trust me. And he brought this thing out here. This burger was the size of my head and just dripping (laughs) with grease. And it was the most amazing damn burger I've ever had. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's great well you never know i remember we were on on tour it was another you know we we toured so much with james taylor but we were up in connecticut and there was a, a trucker who was this was back in the days of cbs mm-hmm. and this guy's handle was straight job and um and he was on his uh, on the cb and truckers were trying to talk this guy would not give it up and he's playing blues harmonica the whole time and talking to us <laughs> And finally, we said, look, we got, we're going to jump off. We're going to go grab a bite to eat. And uh, he said, where are you going? We said, well, next exit, there's a Hojo there. We'll just jump in there. He said, don't go there. It's garbage. He said, follow me, because he was right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And he took us about three miles off the highway 
to this diner that was there that was unbelievable. And we just, we could not thank him enough. We hung out, had a great meal with him and, and stuff. But everything that we ordered was just like, first off, the portions were like the size of a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was just like one of those things where you go, man, if it had not been from this guy, we would have eaten some crappy meal at a Howard Johnson's. <laughs> yeah. But but he took us to this amazing, you know, little diner. And uh, those, you know, when you're touring on the road, man, so much of, of what you um do is all based on the meals you've had like people ask me about what was that gig like and i go well i don't know but man we found this really great fried chicken joint that was like (laughs) yeah and that's and that's kind of like where your where your head goes with these things and uh and and it's like finding out you know because we did this i was in this band called barefoot servants Mm -hmm. and um it was still one of the best bands i've ever been in it was like if you took hendrix and zz and shit like that and rolled it all into one that's what this band was and we did a tour called the southern spirit tour and it was uh marshall tucker 38 special the thunderbirds and the outlaws and we were the opening act for that holy shit and uh but uh marshall tucker the guys told us they said look when when you hit the highway it said you know for breakfast go to cracker barrel they said, because if you go to Cracker Barrel and you got an eight by 10 of your band, you tell them you're a rock band, they'll comp your breakfast if you can sign a picture for them. And we went in and lo and behold, we, we, <laughs> we, the next thing we did was we got a Cracker Barrel map and planned all of, because we were on such a budget yeah. that we planned all of our drives so we could hit some Cracker Barrels and get some food. <laughs> nice. you know, but that's the stuff. I don't remember any of the gigs practically, but I do remember, you know, getting you know, Cracker Barrel breakfast and stuff. <laughs> yep. It was great. Well, we, when you say you don't eat meat, now some people say that they mean strictly no meat. Do you eat fish and chicken and still? Or I'll, I'll, I'll eat uh, some chicken and some fish. Okay, It's cool. just red, red meat. And for the most part, it was really because I saw too many videos of factory farming the way it's done here oh yeah and and it's just it's just i just thought i can't do it anymore but you know i now i you know i really miss burgers yeah. for me i love a great burger like rotiers in nashville had great burgers and well do you, uh, do you like venison oh uh, well any any kind of meat like that i don't but there's been okay. some really good um faux burgers because mm-hmm. uh, for me like when i would eat a burger uh, it, it's like uh, Capitol Records in Hollywood in the old days when we would record there across the street. I mean, they they took the place out and made a parking lot. But there was this old Greek guy who had a burger stand across the street from Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. Um, he baked all his own buns and grew all his lettuce and tomatoes and everything. Everything was like as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. And, his, and his meat was unbelievable. I don't, I don't know what cut he used to make his stuff, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but when he would do the burger patty, it was no bigger than the slice of tomato or the onion. Everything was in proportion. And oh. um, and that's one of the things I love about a burger. It's like you could almost leave the meat off if you got a great onion and a great tomato and great lettuce and pickles. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I, to me, it becomes like a Dagwood sandwich. You know, oh, just yeah. kind of enjoy the whole thing. So like uh, like when I have an impossible burger. It really does satisfy me because I'm putting other things that I love in there too. So it's not like I'm depending on that to be my new burger. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I miss it. Like when we when when we when we got to um, Memphis, 
and you know, it, it, you smell, you know, a good rib joint, man. It is, it, it's really a challenge oh, at yeah. that point. Oh, yeah. Well, but, when uh, you, when you come out, what I'll do is I'll go to my house in Thompson. We've got a pond and I will catch some fresh catfish. Oh man. Oh yeah. yeah. We will hook you up. That Most sounds good. Definitely. That yeah, sounds real good. And uh, every once in a while, man, you you find like a there was a a, a joint. Uh, well, actually, I'll tell you the best. It was so funny. You know the actor Lavar Burton. He was in Roots and, oh, and yeah. you know all that stuff. I was at a function uh, years ago, and he brought fried chicken with him. And I took one by this fried chicken, and I looked at him. And I said, Lavar, man where did you get this chicken? He goes, oh, I made it. He says, this is my grandmother's recipe. I look at him, I said, this is by far the best fried chicken I ever ate in my life. Every time I see him, I go, dude, are, <laughs> you've got to open a chicken joint. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he's never going to do it, but you know, it's like, it's always weird. Cause you think how good, you know, how much difference could there be in, you know, fried chicken. Oh, it's and a then lot. when you had, and there's a lot, you yeah. know, and you, and you just kind of go, you get used to a like an average thing, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in with something that just takes your socks off, and you just go, "Wow, you just raised the bar a whole lot." And uh, it's cool. It's cool. I, I you know I love. It's one of the best things about touring to me always was having adventures, finding like you know it's, it's like I remember with James we played in Germany, and we we did a, a TV show in Baden-Baden, which is in the middle of the Black Forest region of, of Germany. Mm -hmm. And after the gig, the promoter said, um, let me take you guys for an amazing meal. And he took us up to a, a lodge that was like a small castle that was way up in the mountains. And uh, and I really wasn't that hungry. So I, I told the guy, I said, look, you know, I'd really like just a really nice salad. <laughs> this guy brought out a salad that was probably the best salad I've ever eaten in my life. It was it was a massive bowl of like the best of everything you could ever put in a salad. Mm. And I just sat there and I just went, this is unbelievable. And and an, an, another experience I had was I, I toured for many, many years with a French artist named Veronique Sanson. And in the 70s, she was married to Stephen Stills, and that's when I met her the first time. Mm -hmm. um, but but I toured through the 90s up into the early 2000s with her, and she's still like one of the biggest artists in French his music history. Uh, but we were somewhere in a little tiny village in central France, and uh, it was breakfast time, and she said, "I got let me order you breakfast. I said, great. Um, so this beautiful breakfast arrives and it had looked like a Spencer steak uh, mm -hmm. on it. I said, Oh man. And I took one bite and I said, this is one of the best steaks I've ever eaten in my life. This is unbelievable. And she smiled and looked at me. She said, it's a mushroom. <laughs> and it was a mushroom that can only be grown in this village area. There's something in the soil where this village is. They've tried to do them other and it makes like a portobello like nothing mm -hmm. it was it was as thick as as a steak and um probably the size of like uh like a, a deck of cards a little bit thicker than a deck of cards but mm -hmm. but i look at her and i said if i lived here i would eat this every day it was it was just un it was life-changing oh, one of those man. things and you can't get it anywhere else <laughs> it's yeah. like well you know, those are the memories that you, you that stick with you. Oh, do you like scallops? Oh, I love scallops. Um, 
go somewhere and see if you can find some king oyster mushrooms. You can take those mm-hmm. and cut them about a three quarters to an inch thick, and you can put them in a little bit of you know hot oil, just like you would sear a scallop. Yeah. For about thirty seconds on each side, and then put a little bit of soy sauce on them to kind of sear it in. And the taste and texture, you cannot tell the difference between that and a scallop. Oh, man, for sure I'm going to do that. Yeah, they're amazing. I, if I get a good steak somewhere, I will always buy some of those too. Wow. Yeah, they're amazing. That's great to know. But oh, Wow. Yeah. Now I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> well, Lee, I've had a ball talking to you, man. You know you're welcome on here anytime. I don't care when well, or what. I, I would love to come back, and if you get the video going, let's uh, let's absolutely do it. You know, Outstanding. We, can, we definitely will. You know, we can have a, a clothing optional video and freak people out. <laughs> you know, the one bad thing about the video is everybody tells me I've got the perfect face for radio. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah. I have so little face showing that it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I look in the mirror, my reflection ducks. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but we're still here, and that's the thing that matters. You ain't got, like a friend of mine used to say, I didn't wake up with dirt in my mouth and fire around me, so it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's it's a, it's crazy times, you know, and it, it's like it's the start of every blues tune, you know, woke up this morning. That's enough. <laughs> that's a good song. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, look at man, you take you take good care of yourself. You sound great, so I'm really glad that you came back from those strokes as as, as good as you have, man. That's that's some scary stuff. You ain't kidding. I'm I'm blessed, man. I got lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You dodged the bullet. Oh yeah. <laughs>